You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. Now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The John F. Kennedy Space Center, or KSC, is one of 10 National Aeronautics and Space Administration field centers. Since December 1968, Kennedy Space Center has been NASA's primary launch center of human spaceflight. Launch operations for the Apollo, Skylab, and Space Shuttle programs were carried out from the Kennedy Space Center Launch Complex 39 and managed by KSC. Located on the east coast of Florida, KSC is adjacent to Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. The management of the two entities work very closely together, share resources, and even own facilities on each other's property. Though the first Apollo flights and all Project Mercury and Project Gemini flights took off from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, or CCAFS. The launches were managed by Kennedy Space Center and its previous organization, the Launch Operations Directorate. Starting with the fourth Gemini mission, the NASA Launch Control Center in Florida, Mercury Control Center, later the Launch Control Center, began handing off control to vehicles to the Mission Control Center shortly after liftoff. Prior missions held control throughout the entire mission. Additionally, the center manages launch of robotic and commercial crew missions, research, food production, and in-situ resource utilization for off-Earth explorations. Since 2010, the center has worked to become a multi-user spaceport through industry partnerships, even adding a new launch pad known as LC-39C in 2015. There are about 700 facilities grouped across the center's 144,000 acres, 
Among the unique facilities at Kennedy Space Center are the 525-foot-tall Vehicle Assembly Building for stacking NASA's lost largest rockets. Operations and Checkout Building, which housed the astronaut crew quarters, and three-mile-long shuttle landing facilities. There is also a visitor complex open to the public on site. The military had been performing launch operations since 1949 at what would become Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. In December 1959, the Department of Defense transferred 5,000 personnel and the Missile Firing Laboratory to NASA to become the Launch Operations Dictorate under NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. President John F. Kennedy's 1961 goal of an unmanned lunar landing before 1970 required an expansion of launch operations. On July 1, 1962, the Launch Operations Directorate was separated from MSFC to become the Launch Operations Center, or the LOC. Also, Cape Canaveral was inadequate to host the new launch facility design required for the mammoth 363-foot-tall, 7.5-million-pound-force thrust Saturn V rocket, which would be assembled vertically in a large hangar and transported on a mobile platform to one of several launch pads. Therefore, the decision was made to build a new launch operations center site located adjacent to the Cape Canaveral on Merritt Island. NASA began land acquisitions in 1962, buying title to 131 square miles and negotiating with the state of Florida for an additional 87 square miles. The major buildings in Kennedy Space Center's industrial area were designed by architect Charles Luckman. Construction began in November 1962, and Kennedy visited the site twice in 1962 and again just a week before his assassination on November 22, 1963. On November 1929, 1963, the facility was given its current name by President Lyndon B. Johnson under Executive Order 11129. Johnson's order joined both the civilian LOC and the military Cape Canaveral Station, the facilities of Station 1 of the Atlantic Missile Range, under the designation John F. Kennedy Space Center, spawning some confusion joining the two in the public mind. NASA Administrator James E. Webb clarified this by using a directive stating that the Kennedy Space Center name applied only to the LOC, while the Air Force issued a general order renaming the military launch site Cape Kennedy Air Force Station. Located on Merritt Island, Florida, the center is north-northwest of Cape Canaveral on the Atlantic Ocean, midway between Miami and Jacksonville on the Florida Space Coast due east of Orlando. It's 35, 34 miles long and roughly six miles wide, covering 219 square miles. 
KSC is a major Central Florida tourist designation, and it's approximately one hour's drive from the Orlando area. The Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex offers public tours of the center and Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. Because much of the installation is a restricted area and only 9% of the land is developed, the site also serves as an important wildlife sanctuary. Mosquito Lagoon, Indian River, Merritt Island National Wildlife Refuge, and Canaveral National Seashore are other features of the area. Center workers can encounter bald eagles, American alligators, wild boars, eastern diamondback rattlesnakes, the endangered Florida panther, and Florida manatees. From 1967 through 1973, there were 13 Saturn V launches, including the 10 remaining Apollo missions after Apollo 7. The first of two unmanned flights, Apollo 4, on November 9, 1967, was also the first rocket launch from Kennedy Space Center. The Saturn V's first manned mission launch on December 21, 1968, was Apollo 8's lunar orbiting mission. The next two missions tested the lunar module, Apollo 9, in near-Earth orbit, and Apollo 10 in lunar orbit. Apollo 11 launched from Pad A on July 16, 1969, made the first moon landing on July 20th. Apollo 12 followed four months later. From 1970 to 1972, the Pro Apollo program concluded at, at KSC with the launches of missions 13 through 17. On May 14, 1973, the last Saturn V launch put the Skylab space station in orbit from launch pad 39A. By this time, Kennedy, Cape, Cape Kennedy pads 34 and 37 used for the Saturn 1B were decommissioned and pad B was modified to launch three manned missions to Skylab that year, as well as the final Apollo spacecraft for the Apollo Soyuz test project in 1975. As the space shuttle was being designed, NASA received proposals for building alternative launch and landing sites at locations other than Kennedy Space Center, which demanded study. KSC had important advantages, including its existing facilities, location on the intercoastal waterway, and its southern latitude, which gives a velocity advantage to missions launched in easterly, near-equatorial orbits. Disadvantages included its inability to safely launch military missions into polar orbit, since spent boosters would likely fall on the Carolinas or Cuba. Corrosion from the salt air and frequent cloudy or stormy weather Although building a new site at White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico was seriously considered, 
NASA announced its decision on April 1972 to use Kennedy Space Center for the shuttle. Since the shuttle could not be landed automatically or by remote control, the launch of Columbia on April 12, 1981, for its first orbital mission, STS-1, was NASA's first manned launch of a vehicle that had not been tested in prior unmanned launches. In 1976, the VAB's South Parking Area was the site of the Third Century America, a science and technology display commemorating the U.S. Bicentennial. Concurrent with this event, the U.S. flag was painted on the south side of the Vehicle Assembly Building. During the late 1970s, Launch Complex 39 was reconfigured to support the space shuttle. Two orbiter processing facilities were built near the vehicle assembly building as hangars with a third added in 1980s. Kennedy Space Center 2.9 mile shuttle landing facility was the orbiter's primary end of mission landing site Although the first KSC landing did not take place until the 10th flight, when Challenger completed STS-41B on February 11, 1984. The primary landing site until then was Edwards Air Force Base in California, subsequently used as a backup landing site. The shuttle landing facility, also known as the SLF, also provided a return to launch site abort option, which was never utilized. The SLF is among the longest runways in the world. After 24 successful shuttle flights, Challenger was torn apart 73 seconds after the launch of STS-51L on January 28, 1986. The first shuttle launch from Pad 39B and the first U.S. manned launch failure, killing the seven crew members. An O-ring seal in the right booster rocket failed at liftoff, leading to subsequent structural failure. Flight resumed on September 29, 1988, with STS-26 after a lot of modifications to many aspects of the shuttle program. On February 1st, 2003, Columbia and her crew of seven were lost during re-entry over Texas during the STS-107 mission. It was also the 113th shuttle flight. A vehicle breakup triggered by damage sustained during launch from pad 39A on January 16th, when a piece of foam insulation from the orbiter's external tank struck the orbiter's left wing. During re-entry, the damage created a hole allowing hot gases to melt the wing structure. Like the Challenger disaster, the resulting investigation and modifications interrupted shuttle flight operations at Kennedy Space Center for more than two years until the STS 114 launch on July 26, 2005.
The shuttle program experienced five main engine shutdowns at Launch Complex 39, all within four seconds before launch, and one abort-to-orbit STS-51F on July 29, 1985. Shuttle missions during nearly 30 years of operations included deploying satellites and interplanetary probes, conducting space science and technology experiments, visits to the Russian Mir space station, construction and servicing of the International Space Station, deployment and servicing of the Hubble Space Telescope, and serving as a space laboratory. The shuttle was retired from service in July 2011 after 135 launches. On October 28, 2009, the Ares 1X launch from Pad 39B was the first unmanned launch from Kennedy Space Center since the Skylab workshop in 1973. Beginning in 1985, NASA and military worked side-by-side -side on robotic mission launches, previously referred to as unmanned. Cooperating as they broke ground in the field in the early 1960s, NASA had as many as two robotic missions launches a month. The frequent number of flights allowed for quick evolution of the vehicles, as engineers gathered data, learned from the anomalies, and implemented upgrades. In 1963, with the intent of Kennedy Space Center expendable launch vehicles, work focusing on the ground support equipment and facilities, a separate Atlas Centaur organization was formed under NASA's Lewis Center, which is now known as Glenn Research Center, taking that responsibility from the Launch Operations Center at Kennedy Space Center. Though almost all robotic missions launched from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station Kennedy Space Center oversaw the final assembly and testing of rockets as they arrived at the Cape. In 1965, Kennedy Space Center Unmanned Launched Operations Directorate became responsible all NASA unmanned launch operations, including those at Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. From the 1950s to 1978, KSC chose the rocket and payload processing facilities for all robotic missions launching in the U.S., overseeing their near launch processing and checkout. In addition to government missions, KSC performed this service for commercial and foreign missions also, though non-U.S. government entities provided reimbursement. NASA also funded CCAFS launch pad maintenance and launch vehicle improvements. All this changed with the Commercial Space Launch Act of 1984, after which NASA only coordinated its own and National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration expendable launch vehicle launches. Companies were able to operate their own launch vehicles, and utilize NASA fa launch facilities. In 
payload processing handled by private firms also started to occur outside of Kennedy Space Center. Reagan's 1988 space policy furthered the movement of this work from Kennedy Space Center to commercial companies. That same year, launch complexes on Cape Canaveral Air Force Station started transferring from NASA to Air Force Management. In the 1990s, though, Kennedy Space Center was not performing the hands-on ELV work. Engineers still maintained understanding of ELVs and had contracts allowing them insight in the vehicles so they could provide knowledgeable oversight. Kennedy Space Center also worked on the ELV research and analysis, and contractors were able to utilize KSC personnel as a resource for technical issues. KSC, with the payload and launch vehicle industries, developed advances in automation of the ELV launch and ground operations for the purpose of enabling competitiveness of U.S. rockets against the global market. In 1998, the Launch Services Program formed at KSC, pulling together programs and personnel that already existed at KSC, Goddard Space Flight Center, and more to manage and launch of NASA's and NOAA's robotic missions. Cape Canaveral Air Force Station and Vandenberg Air Force Base are the primary launch sites for the Launch Services Program missions, though other sites are occasionally used. Launch Services Program payloads, such as the Mars Science Laboratory, have been processed at Kennedy Space Center before being transferred to a launch pad on Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. As the International Space Station module's design began in the early 1990s, Kennedy Space Center began to work with other NASA centers and international partners to prepare for processing prior to launch on board the space shuttles. Kennedy Space Center utilized its hand-on experience processing the 22 Skylab missions in the Operations and Checkout Building to gather expectations of International Space Station processing. These experiences were incorporated into the design of the Space Station Processing Facility, which began construction in 1993. The Space Station Directorate formed in 1996. Kennedy Space Center personnel were embedded at station module factories for insight into their processes. From 1997 to 2007, KSC planned and performed on-the-ground integration tests and checkouts of station modules. Three multi-element integration testing sessions and the integration system test. Numerous issues were found and corrected that would have been difficult to nearly impossible to do on orbit. Today, KSC continues to process International Space Station payloads from across the world prior to launch, along with developing its own experiments on orbit. 
The following are current programs and initiatives at Kennedy Space Center. The Commercial Crew Program. The Ground System Development and Operation Program. NASA is currently designing the next heavy launch vehicle known as the Space Launch System for continuation of human spaceflight. On December 5th, 2014, NASA launched the first unmanned flight test of the Orion multi-purpose crew vehicle, currently under development to facilitate human exploration to the moon, asteroids, or even Mars. There's also launch services programs. There's even educational launch of nanosatellites and, of course, the International Space Station payloads. The Kennedy Space Center Industrial Area, where many of the center's support facilities are located, is five miles south of Launch Complex 39. It includes the Headquarters Building, the Operation and Checkout Building, and the Central Instrumentation Facility. The astronaut crew quarters are in the O and C. Before it was completed, the astronaut crew quarters were located in Hangar S at Cape Canaveral Missile Test Annex, now known as Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. Located at KSC was the Merritt Island Space Flight Tracking and Data Network Station a key radio communication and spacecraft tracking complex. Facilities at the Kennedy Space Center are directly related to its mission to launch, and in some cases, recovery missions. Facilities are available to prepare and maintain spacecraft and payloads for flight. The headquarters building houses offices for the center director, library, film, and photo archives a print shop, and security. A new headquarters building is under construction as part of the central campus consolidation, and the first phase is expected to be complete in 2017. The center operated its own 17-mile short-line railroad. This operation was discontinued in 2015 with the sale of its final two locomotives. A third had already been donated to a museum. The line was costing 1.3 million annually to maintain it. Payload processing. Payloads are received, processed, and integrated together in the operations and checkout building, the ONC, dating back to the 1960s with the Gemini and Apollo programs, 70s with the Skylab program, and 80s and 90s for the initial segments of the International Space Station. A three-story, 457,000 square foot space station processing facility consists of two processing bays, an airlock, operational control rooms, laboratories, logistics areas, and office space for support of non-hazardous station and shuttle payloads to ISO 1464-1 Class 5 standards. The vertical processing facility features a 71-foot 
door where payloads are processed in the vertical position, are brought in and manipulated with two overhead cranes, and a hoist capable of lifting up to 35 short tons. The hypergolic maintenance and checkout area comprises three buildings, which are isolated from the rest of the industrial area because of the hazardous materials handled there. Hypergolic fueled modules that are made up the Space Shuttle Orbiter's Reaction Control System, Orbital Maneuvering System, and Auxiliary Power Units were stored and serviced at the Hypergolic Maintenance and Checkout Area. Launch Complex 39, otherwise known as LC-39, is a rocket launch site at the John F. Kennedy Space Center on Merritt Island in Florida, United States. The site and its collection of facilities were originally built for the Apollo program and later modified for the Space Shuttle program. As of 2016, its launch pads are being modified to support launches of the SpaceX Falcon 9, Dragon 2, and Falcon Heavy, and NASA's Space Launch System, with a new, smaller Pad C added to support smaller launches. Launch Complex 39 is composed of three launch assembly pads, 39A, 39B, and 39C, a vehicle assembly building, a crawler way used by crawler transporters to carry mobile launcher platforms between the vehicle assembly building and the pads, orbiter processing facility buildings, a launch control center which contains the firing rooms, a news facilities famous for the iconic countdown clock seen in television coverage and photos, and various logistical and operational support buildings. SpaceX leases launch pad 39A from NASA and has modified the pad to support Falcon Heavy launches in 2017 and beyond. NASA began modifying Launch Pad 39B in 2007 to accommodate the now-defunct Project Consolation and is currently preparing it for Space Launch System with first launch scheduled for 2018. Pad C was originally planned but never built for Apollo and would have been a copy of Pads 39A and 39B. A smaller pad, designated 39C, was constructed from January to June of 2015 to accommodate small class vehicles to be determined. NASA launches from 39A and 39B have been supervised from the NASA Launch Control Center located three miles from the launch pads Although it's unclear if SpaceX will use the Launch Control Center for their launches beginning in 2016, Launch Control 39 is one of several launch sites that share radar and tracking services of the Eastern Test Range. What about the history of this area? Northern Merritt Island was first developed around the year 1890 
when a few wealthy Harvard University graduates purchased 18,000 acres and constructed a three-story mahogany clubhouse very nearly on the site of 39A launch pad. During the 1920s, Peter E. Studebaker Jr., the son of automobile magnate, built a small casino at DeSoto Beach, eight miles north of the Canaveral Lighthouse. In 1948, the Navy transferred the former Banana Rival Naval Air Station, located south of Cape Canaveral, to the Air Force for the use in testing captured German V-2 rockets. The site's location on the East Florida coast was ideal for this purpose, in that launches would be over the ocean, away from populated areas. This site became the Joint Long Range Proving Ground in 1949, and was renamed Patrick Air Force Base in 1950. The Air Force annexed part of Cape Canaveral to the north in 1951, forming the Air Force Missile Test Center, the future Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. Missile and rocketry testing and development would take place here through the 1950s. After the creation of NASA in 1958, the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station launch pads were used for NASA civilian unmanned and manned launches, including those of Project Mercury and Project Gemini. In 1961, President Kennedy proposed to Congress the goal of landing a man on the moon by the end of the decade. Congressional approval led to the launch of Apollo program, which required a massive expansion of NASA operations, including an expansion of launch operations from the Cape to adjacent Merritt Island to the north and west. NASA began acquisition of land in 1962, taking title to 131 square miles by outright purchases and negotiations with the state of Florida for an additional 87 square miles. In July 1, 1962, the site was named the Launch Operations Center. At the time, the highest numbered launch pads on Cape Canaveral Air Force Station was Launch Complex 37. When the Lunar Launch Complex was designed, it was designated as Launch Complex 39. It was designed to handle launches of the Saturn V rocket. At the time, the largest, most powerful rocket then designed required to take Apollo to the moon. The initial plans included four pads. Five were considered. Evenly spaced 8,700 feet apart to avoid damage in event of an explosion on the pad. Three were scheduled for construction, A, B, and C to the southeast, and two, D and E, west and north, would have been built at a later date. The number of pads at the time from the north to the south, with the northmost being 39A and the southernmost being 39C. Pad 39A was never built, and 39C became 39A in 1963. 
With today's numbering, 39C would have been north of 39B and 39D would have been due west of 39C. Pad 39E would have been due north of the mid-distance between 39C and 39D, with 39E forming the top of a triangle and equidistance from 39C and 39D. The crawler way was built with the additional pads in mind. This is the reason the crawler way turns as it heads to, turn to pad B, continuing straight from that turn would have led to additional pads. Months before launch, three stages of the Apollo Saturn V launch vehicle and the components of the Apollo spacecraft were brought inside the Vehicle Assembling Building, or the VAB, and assembled in one of four high bays into a 363-foot tall space vehicle on one of three mobile launchers. Each mobile launcher consisted of a two-story, 161-foot by 135-foot launch platform with four hold-down arms and a 446-foot launch umbilical tower topped by a crane used to lift the spacecraft into position for the assembly. The MLP and unfueled vehicle together weighed 12,600,000 pounds. The umbilical tower contained two elevators and nine retractable swing arms, which extended to the space vehicle to provide access to each of the three rocket stages and the spacecraft for people, wiring and plumbing while the vehicle was on the launch pad and swung away from the vehicle at launch. Technicians, engineers and astronauts used the uppermost spacecraft access arm to access the crew cabin. At the end of the arm, the white room provided an environmentally controlled and protected area for astronauts and their equipment to enter the spacecraft. When the stack integration was completed, it was moved the three to four miles to the pad at a speed of one mile per hour by one of the two crawler transporters. Each crawler weighed six million pounds and was capable of keeping the space vehicle on its mobile launcher level while negotiating a 5% grade to the pad. At the pad, the mobile launch in the MLP was supported by six steel pedestals plus four additional extend extendable columns. After the MLP was set in place, the crawler transporter rolled a 410-foot, 10,490,000-pound mobile service structure into place to provide further access for technicians to perform detailed checkout of the vehicle and necessary umbilical connections to the pad. The MS contained three elevators two self-propelled platforms and three fixed platforms and was rolled back 6,900 feet to its parking position shortly before launch. 
A flame deflector was slid on rails into place underneath the launch pedestal. This system allowed for rotation with a second flame deflector after the first was refurbished after each launch. Each deflector measured 39 feet high by 49 feet wide by 75 feet long and weighed 1.4 million pounds. It deflected the exhaust flame into a trench measuring 43 feet deep by 59 feet wide by 449 feet long. The four-story launch control center was located three and a half miles away from Pad A, adjacent to the vehicle assembly building for safety. The third floor had four firing rooms corresponding to the four high bays at the vehicle assembly building, each with 470 sets of controls and monitoring equipment. The second floor contained telemetry, tracking, instrumentation, and data reduction computing equipment. The LCC was connected to the mobile launcher by a high-speed data link and during launch, a system of 62 closed-circuit television cameras transmitted to 100 monitor screens in the launch control center. Large cryogenic tanks located near the pads stored the liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen for the second and third stages of the Saturn V. The highly explosive nature of these chemicals required numerous safety measures at the launch complex. The pads were located 8,700 feet away from each other. Before tanking operations began and during launch, non-essential personnel were excluded from the danger area. There was an emergency evacuation system. Each pad had a 200-foot evacuation tube running from the mobile launcher platform to a blast-resistant bunker 39 feet underground, equipped with survival supplies for 20 persons for 24 hours. There was also a cab slide wire system running from the 320-foot, 322-foot tower level to evacuate astronauts and technicians 2,500 feet away from the pad. Connections between the Launch Control Center, mobile, mobile launcher platform, and space vehicle are made in the pad terminal connection room. The facility was a two-story series of rooms beneath the launch pad, constructed of reinforced concrete located on the west side of the flame trench, and was protected to up to 20 feet of fill dirt. The first use of Launch Complex 39 came in 1967 with the first Saturn V launch carrying the unmanned Apollo 4 spacecraft. The second unmanned launch, Apollo 6, also used Pad 39A. With the exception of Apollo 10, which used Pad 39B due to the all-up testing resulting in a two-month turnaround period, all manned Apollo 5 launches, commencing with Apollo 8, used Pad 39A. 
A total of 13 Saturn V's were launched for Apollo and the unmanned launch for the Skylab space station in 1973. The mobile launchers were then modified for the shorter Saturn 1B rockets by adding a milk stool extension platform to the launch pedestal so that the S4B upper stages of, and the Apollo spacecraft swing arms would reach. These were used for the three-man Skylab flights and the Apollo Soyuz test project since the Saturn 1B pads 34 and 37 and Cape Canaveral Air Force Base had been decommissioned. The thrust to allow the space shuttle to achieve orbit was provided by a combination of solid rocket boosters and space shuttle main engines. The solid rocket boosters use solid propellant, hence their name. The space shuttle main engines used a combination of liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen from the external tank, as the orbiter did not have the internal fuel tanks for the space shuttle main engines. If they did, they would have had to have been as large as the external tank that was on the outside. The solid rocket boosters arrived in segments via rail car from their manufacturing facility in Utah. The external tanks arrived from its manufacturing facility in Louisiana by barge, and the orbiter waited in the orbiter processing facility. The solid rocket boosters were first stacked in the vehicle assembly building, and then the external tank was mounted between them. Then, using a massive crane, the orbiter was lowered and connected to the external tank. Payload to be installed at the launch pad was independently transported in a payload transportation canister, then installed vertically at the payload changeout room. Otherwise, payloads would have been already pre-installed at the orbiter processing facility and transported within the orbiter's cargo bay. The original structure of the pads was remodeled for the needs of the space shuttle, starting with pad 39A after the last Saturn V launch, and in 1977 for pad 39B after the Apollo Soyuz test project in 1975. Each pad contained two-piece access tower system. The fixed service structure and the rotating service structure. The fixed service structure permitted access to the shuttle via a retractable arm and a beanie cap to capture vented liquid oxygen from the external tank. The RSS contained the payload change route room, which offered clean access to the orbiter's payload bay, protection from the elements, and protection in winds of up to 60 knots, or 110 kilometers per hour. Sound suppression water system was added to protect the space shuttle and its payload from the effects of the intense sound waves pressure generated by its engines. An elevated water tank on a 290-foot tower 
near each pad stored 300,000 gallons of water, which was released onto the mobile launcher platform just before engine ignition. The water muffled the intense sound waves produced by the engine. Due to the heating of the water, a large quantity of steam was produced during launch. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.